All right. Why don't you turn to Ephesians chapter 5, please. Ephesians chapter 5. We're going to look at verses 15 through 17. The message is entitled, Walk in Wisdom. And this is part 1. Paul has told the Ephesians to walk... The walk of the believer is to be marked by unity, purity, love, light. And now Paul is going to add wisdom to his list. Paul is going to give us seven ways the believer is to walk in wisdom in this world, from verses 15 down to 21. The first three seem to center on being beneficial to and for the unbeliever, verse 15 and 17, which we'll look at tonight. The last four seem to center on being beneficial to the believer, verses 18 to 21. Not that it doesn't help the non-believer, but it focuses more on the believer. So, let me read our text here. Chapter 5, verse 15 through 17. He says, See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. The three ways a believer walks in wisdom in this world is as follows. Verse 15, the believer is wise by walking responsible to the word of God. Secondly, verse 16, the believer is wise by walking accountable to share the word of God. So 15 is responsible to the word of God. Verse 16 is accountable to share the word of God. And thirdly, the believer is wise by walking enabled to know the will of God. Verse 17. He begins with the believer being wise by walking responsible to the word of God. Fundamental, basic. But he shares it all over again because it can be so easily missed after a while. Listen to the words again. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. The Apostle Paul still has the salvation of the unbeliever in mind by the believer's life here in verse 15. Notice Paul began the second division of the epistle to walk um, in Christ the walk of the believer in Christ, in view of the wealth of the believer in Christ Jesus. From chapter 4, verse 1, it goes all the way to chapter 6, verse 9. But he began in chapter 4, verse 1, the walk. In fact, in 4, 1, he says he is to walk worthy of the calling. In verse 2, he's to walk in humility. Verse 3, he's to walk in unity. Verse 4, uh, he is to walk in holiness. Verse um, 5, he is to walk in love. I'm sorry, 5-2, walk in love. And then he's to walk in light in 5-8. So I missed those verses. It began with 4-2, 4-3, 4-24, 5-2, and 5-8. All of these even given to us in this section. And he just keeps hammering from different directions. Now notice, Paul is looking back to the previous verse. Look at this verse real close. He's looking back to verse 14. He has just given the invitation to those who are spiritually dead. Therefore, he says, awake you who sleep. The word therefore, again, indicating the conclusion of the section 
of the children of light and darkness. He stated that in view of the fact that sin is exposed and declared to be sin, the sinner should awake from his death sleep. You experienced that as you heard the gospel. I experienced that. He then gave the affirmation of the illumination for transformation, and Christ will give you light, verse 14. The indicative future act of literally shall shine upon you, becoming children of light. Notice the Apostle Paul follows up now with the positive first, telling the believer to walk according to the light of the word, the gospel. See then that you walk circumspectly. The expression see then indicates the personal responsibility to the believer for the unbeliever who has his eyes on the believer by an example and by what he preaches. Non-believers are looking to you and I on how we live and what we say. And they're trying to see if they can line it up as one. They don't know if they're seeing single vision or double. He, in other words, was saying, in view of the fact that these things are so, he declared that we are children of light used by God to bring children of darkness to salvation. God could have used angels much more efficiently. But he has chosen you and I. People. The word see there means to discern mentally, to observe or to consider. The idea is to be aware, to watch out, being very careful or taking heed in the present act of continuous. This is what every believer is supposed to be. Again, the context looking back to the non-believer. Because we are the stepping stone and the link to the unbeliever. This is the critical, important truth, urgency of salvation, not to be compromising with darkness, lest the unbeliever sees a contradiction or no difference at all. If you're living the way they are, why should they have to repent and why should they have to look to a savior? That's what he's saying. Remember, he spoke about having no fellowship with the work of darkness in verse 11. He's referring back to this whole section. The expression walk circumspectly indicates the capable goal. Certainly, God never asks you or myself of something that we can't do. So he's reasonable and because he enables us. As we have stated before, the word walk, peripateo, it means to regulate one's behavior, one's conduct of life, the habit of life. This is the eighth and the last time the word walk appears in the epistle. The number eight means new beginnings. The new man created according to God in true righteousness and holiness, as he said in chapter 4, verse 24. Seven is complete. Six is the number of men. Seven is completeness. Eight is new beginning. You have seven days in the week. The eighth day is new week. You have seven uh, notes on the scale. Eight is the new note. You have eight, seven basic colors. All that goes into it. It's all very, very clear. Now, notice the kind of comportment 
is to be circumspectly, meaning exactly by the rule according to the set norms of the Word of God, not according to the individual, not according to the pastor, not according to religious things, but according to what the Word of God says. The word could be translated diligently when Herod told the Magi's, he, he said, go and seek diligently for the young child in Matthew 2, 8. Same word. Carefully. Again, the tense is the present active constantly. This is what's supposed to be going on all the time in your life and mine. Recognizing that privilege of being enabled brings greater responsibility all the time. You as a parent will teach this to your children and they will learn it very, very fast if you're consistent. And that the older they get, the greater responsibility they have, therefore the greater accountability, therefore the greatest consequence or reward. It depends which way the choice is. Now, notice still in 15, the Apostle Paul then reinforce the positive by way of a contrast. Warning that there are two possibilities in the life of the believer. Not as fools, but as wise. If there was no possibility for both, there's no need saying anything. <laughs> okay? The reason you as a parent tell your, your, your son, your daughter, now look at me, look at me, what I'm telling you, you just go over there and come right back. You don't stop at Johnny's. You don't. You, you understand me? And you don't tell him that because there's no possibility. Or that he might not be tempted. Or that he might lie to you. The possibility is there. The expression... Not a fool means not wise or unwise. An adjective made up of two words. The first one is the letter A in the word sophos, not wise. Whenever an A is in front of a Greek word, it negates and denies the noun or adjective, whatever it follows. So the word atheist means no God. You're denying God. A millennial means you're denying the thousand-year reign of Christ. Okay? So, here, it's a person who is denying being wise. Paul is using the phrase not as a fool, it's referring to spiritual matters for life. You're refusing to be wise in spiritual matters and you're choosing to be foolish, unwise regarding spiritual matters. Now, if they had no potential capacity to make that choice, then it would be unfair for Paul to demand or even ask that of them. But they're born again, they have the Spirit of God, they have the mind of God, they have the Word of God, therefore they can come up with the obedience to it. Simple. The fool is the simple one who walks apart from discretion and obedience. The Proverbs, if you've ever read them, contrast 
him with the wise, the simple and the wise. Fools despise wisdom, Proverbs 1.7 says. The way of the fool is right in his own eyes, Proverbs 12.15. Fools make, mock, uh, make a mock at sin, Proverbs 14.9. And, and there's so many Proverbs that I could give you. The believer, all of us, prior to coming to Christ, were fools, unwise, regarding spiritual matters, being dead in trespasses and sins, as he said in chapter 2, verse 1 and 2. But we might have been religious, might have some sense of morality, but our choice always went to the flesh. When push went, came to shove. Flesh always wins out. Human restraint is not sufficient. It will break down. The believer, after coming to Christ, has now the potential regarding spiritual matters, but still has a sin nature that can cause him to be unwise or foolish in the decisions regarding spiritual matters. Notice Paul presented next to positive, but as wise. Again, wise sophos is one who is using the best reliable information to come up with the best solution or answer. We live in an age of massive information. I mean, we can't even keep up with it. Yet, a very unwise generation for problem-solving and decision-making in life. We have so much information, incredible technology, and we've got some of the stupidest people in the world that have ever existed. No common sense. No moral sense. Amazing. Information is not wisdom in and of itself. It is understanding and comprehending that information for the best application that ends up being wisdom. That's wisdom. Making the absolute best choice based on the best information I have at that time. And being able to make that decision. The wisdom Paul is referring to again is spiritual, not worldly or natural wisdom. Sometimes Christians, um, they go to churches that really don't teach the difference between natural and spiritual. So they just believe that natural wisdom, you know, God uses that. And that's what the Bible is speaking about. It is not. You may be talented. You may have some abilities. But the spiritual gifts are spiritual gifts. They're not natural talents or abilities. There's the wisdom of the world, and there's the wisdom of God. Different as night and day. In fact, Paul has already mentioned the wisdom of God in chapter 1, verse 8, verse 17, and chapter 3, verse 10. Here we have it again. The believer's ability to, is based on what God has done for him and in him. We have it in verse 8 of this chapter. The contrast of chapter 2, verse 1. Dead in trespasses and sins, now we're children of God in the light. First uh, Corinthians one seventeen says, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. See, wisdom of man would have made it none effect. It's wisdom of God. And in 
1 Corinthians 1.19 says, For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. The wisest man is brought low by God. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? 1 Corinthians 1.20 For since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom, listen, the world through wisdom did not know God. It pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. The world listens to the message of the gospel. That's stupid. Someone gets saved. He says, man, that is incredible wealth, wisdom of God. For the Jew requests a sign in Greeks after wisdom, 1 Corinthians 1, 22. But to those who are called, both Jew and Greek, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God, 1 Corinthians 1, 24. So, divine wisdom from above comes from the word of God, having been born again. You remember um, Samuel said to Saul when he disobeyed God in 1 Samuel 13, 13, um, as he was supposed to meet him and he heard the bleeding of the sheep and everything, he says, you have done foolishly. You have not kept the commandments of the Lord your God, which he commanded you. For now, the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. He kept the king alive. He saved the best of the sheep and he tried to blame the people. His human wisdom. The godly wisdom would have said to obey God. It cost him. The way God has chosen to prepare and to guide us to walk circumspectly, diligently, carefully, his wisdom is by giving us his word. Something that I think is neglected so much today in the church. Reading through the Bible is not foolishness, it's wisdom. Studying the Bible to grow is wisdom. Praying to God to receive wisdom from God is wisdom. Fellowshipping and learning from each other is wisdom. Rubbing elbows with the older saints and those who have walked a little longer than us. Jeremiah 9, 26-24 says, Thus saith the Lord Yahweh, Let not the wise man glory in his wisdom, let not the mighty man glory in his might, nor let the rich man glory in his riches, but let him who, glo who glories glory in this, listen carefully, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord Yahweh, exercising loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth, for in these I delight, says the Lord Yahweh. Wow. The world has no room for God. We're to walk according to the word of God so that the unbeliever hears and sees a clear message. Paul the Apostle in 1 Corinthians 10, 32-33 says this, Give no offense neither to the Jew nor to the Greek nor to the church of God. There's your three groups. Jew, Gentile, church of God. And in the church of God, there's Jew and Gentile. Three categories. God sees the, the humanity of, of man today, the world. Okay? And he says, um, Just as I also pleased all men in all things, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of many, that they may be saved. 
So Paul was a Jew. He knew the Greek lifestyle. So he walked according to knowledge where he went. He wasn't a hypocrite. He wasn't walking two sides of the street, but he knew how to conduct himself. In 1 Corinthians 9, 19-23, said, For though I am free from all men, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win the more. And to the Jews I became as a Jew, and I might win Jews. And to those who were under the law, as under the law, that I might win those who are under the law. And to those who are without the law, the Gentiles, as without the law, not being without the law towards God, but under the law towards Christ. That I might win those who are without the law. To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I, I have become all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. Now, this I do for the gospel's sake, that I may be partaker of it with you. He walked very aware that men were perishing and women were perishing, entering eternity, and he did everything he can to pull those out that he could, when he could, as he could, whenever he could. Wow. All things are lawful for me, but all things are not helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought into the, bonder, the bondage or power of any. 1 Corinthians six twelve. There's a lot of things I can do as a Christian that are not against the Scripture, but I don't do them anymore. And I don't want to do them because they're a waste of time. And they're not going to help me grow in the Lord. It could be perfectly legitimate what I can do, but I don't want to do it. And the older you get, the, the shorter your tape measure gets, <laughs> the more you throw stuff out. Because you don't have that much to go. You understand? First Corinthians ten twenty three says, All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but not all things edify. Once again, the choice. We need to consistently ask the Father in Jesus' name to give us wisdom. Proverbs 9.10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. The first nine chapters is an introduction of wisdom personified as a woman. Then the Proverbs began there in chapter 10. The rest of you have Proverbs. In Proverbs 15.33, it says, The fear of the Lord is the instruction of wisdom, and before honor is humility. Proverbs 16.16, How much better to get wisdom than gold, and to get understanding is to be chosen rather than silver. Wow, quite a statement from a king who wrote the Proverbs. There is no wisdom or understanding or counsel against the Lord. Proverbs 21, 3, 30. In whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Colossians 2, 3. Who's whom? Jesus Christ. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all liberally without reproach, and it will be given to him. James 1, 5. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. That's Paul's prayer in Ephesians 1, 17 for the Ephesians. To the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities powers in the heavenly places. Ephesians 3.10. Him we preach, warning every man and teaching everyone in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. Colossians 
Colossians 1.9, for this reason we also, since the day we heard it, meaning their salvation, do not cease to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. When someone gets born again, you're praying for them, you're encouraging them, you're, you're praying, Lord, just give them direction, guide them, Lord, let them just depend upon you and all that. Colossians 3.16 says, Let the word of God dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your heart to the Lord. Wisdom from above. So the believer is wise by walking responsible to the word of God. Secondly, verse 16, the believer is wise by walking accountable to share the word of God. You got to walk it. You got to put some shoe leather to it. Now it's got to share it. Notice the Apostle Paul exhorted the believer to make good use of the opportunities to preach the gospel. Listen to his words redeeming the time. That's it. Paul understood that time can be divided in two groups. There is a chronological time that runs in a linear line from the Greek word chronos. It is characterized by past, present, and future. It is the only thing that we cannot recover once it's gone. You crash a car, you can get another one. You lose a house, you can buy another one. You tear some clothes, you can buy some new one. You lose some money, you can get some more, but you lose an hour, it's gone. You will never get it back. Psalm 90 verse 12 says, Lord, teach me to number my days. When I first was saved, I was 23. 30 seemed a long way. 40 in eternity. 60? I'm 66. Overnight. Teach me to number my days. Then there's time by the Greek word kairos that is marked not by sequential order, but by critical epic or special opportune periods, which may soon pass seasonal. And this is the word here. Um, indicating our text. It's like a, a special time, a birthday, uh, a vacation week, um, summer, a spring. It's a special period. Paul declared notice to the believer that one way they were to be wise was to redeem the time regarding the lost sinner. This is still the context. Sometimes people teach on these passages that are completely teaching it about the believer. He's talking about the non-believer. The time regarding them. Time redemption here does not refer to, again, our stewardship of our own time. Though that is taught in Scripture, we need to be good stewards of our time. But it's specifically to the non-believer, those opportunities. 
Um, the redemption of the time Paul is speaking about is very specific. Um, the context is the salvation of the unbeliever. The concept of redeeming has to do with making and doing the most and the best with any occasion or opportunity presented to a person by the Lord regarding a sinner. Redeem is ex agorazo. Agora is the market. Ex is out from the market. You're buying. You're taking back. We were bought from the slave market, Agora, ex agorazo, out of the market by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And you're buying out of the market to make profit for oneself in the very general definition. The word is used twice for Christ redeeming sinners from the law in Galatians 3.13 and 4.5. The word here is a participle in the present middle voice, emphatic, indicating the purchase for oneself or one's benefit. I do that. God doesn't do that for me. The middle voice always indicates you are active. You do it. Again, the word for time is kairos, not chronological sequential time but the critical epic the seasonal time that may soon pass that opportunity we call it a window time a window time means I've got this amount of time to get this done 15 days if I don't get it done I won't be able to get paid or I've only got 10 days to be able to make the application. And once it's over, it's done. A window time. I look back to my life and I see a lot of window times that if I had not taken them, they would have been gone. I would have never been able to walk through them and accomplish something. And I'm sure there are window times that I missed. All of us. None of us hit 100%. This time is that opportune time prepared by God when the unbeliever is open to the gospel. Questioning the teaching of evolution, perhaps, in their own mind, psychology, the goodness of man. Perhaps when they have tried everything to satisfy their lives, drinking, drugs, sex, whatever, and it come up empty. Perhaps they're just um, interested in what the Bible says. No real crisis, nothing. They just, hey, you're Christian. What does the Bible say about this? And guy gets saved. God nails him. <laughs> Colossians 4, 5 says, Walk in wisdom towards those who are outside, redeeming the time. Stop and think of the person that ministered the gospel to you when they shared the word of God to you and it convicted you. You made a decision. No coincidence. Notice the apostle Paul declared the reason for the exhortation was that the days are evil because the days are evil. Paul lived 
in a day of low morals and pagan religions. Okay? Sometimes people act like if when Paul lived and these men all wrote the New Testament, it was a nice society and we've got it a lot tougher. Are you kidding me? It was a cesspool. It was a violent, cruel, savage world. There were the temples of, at Corinth of prostitutes to the goddess of fertility. Aphrodite's. You had the debauched lifestyle of the Romans, the emperors, the Gentile world. Paul mentions it in Romans chapter 1, verse 18 to 32. It includes every type of vice that we see today paraded and demanded. And there's no shame. So we're, we're in that very same arena right now in our nation, in the world, as the New Testament. The apostle has given two lists of sinful vices in this letter in chapter 4, verse 14 to 19, and then chapter 5, verse 3 through 5, where he has shared with them, this is what you used to be, now you're light. That was darkness, now you're light. That's where you used to be. Now you're here. Notice Paul uses the word evil as the word poneros, which means evil in active opposition to good. The word describes also the satisfaction and corruption and destruction of people. It's just not doing bad things, but it's the nature of, of, of this evil is that it, it enjoys corrupting and destroying individuals. And if, if you were in the world as I was in the world, then you know that this is common. Someone maybe has never gotten drunk and you just can't wait to get them drunk. And you laugh and you just think, and you, 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 you know, you're the one that taught them the ropes. Or on any other level of sin. And we corrupt people. We get off on it. That's the world. The world is used, or the word here is used for Satan, the wicked one. Um, I mean, it's the same word is used for Satan in other parts. If you remember in 1 John, 1 John uses it all the time, the wicked one. 1 John 2.13, verse 14, 3.12, 5.18, and 19. The wicked one, the poneros. Uh, this is one of the words that is used for Satan, um, Matthew uses the word, but if your eye be evil in Matthew 6.23, panras, my eye. The word is used by Jesus for the evil and adulterous generation seeking a sign of him in Matthew 12.39. The word is used as a command for the believer to abhor what is evil, panras, in Romans 12.9. In fact, Paul makes an analogy and an application there in Romans chapter 1, 18 to 32, as he moves into chapter 2. 
in chapter 1, you say, oh, horrible, oh, these guys, they did this, they did that, they're homosexuals, they're this, they're that, they're women, they're men, this and that. But then he said, thank you. And then in chapter 2, verse 1, he said, but you may not do all this, but you get off on what these people do. Whoa. You may not do it, but you like watching it. That, that, that brings me to what I watch on TV, on different things too. Not being legalistic, that's it. You wouldn't dare do something, but garbage in, garbage out, ladies and gentlemen. The things don't happen overnight. Nobody gets up and gets up and does something stupid all of a sudden. It's a very progressive thing. Satan's the god of this world, the prince of the power of the air, blind sinner, second Corinthians four four, Ephesians two, two and three. He's a liar. Paul was saying that in days that are characterized and given over to evil, the opportunities may be few that come to the believer, so they should not let them go by. You would say, oh, no, when things are evil, you've got a lot of opportunity. No, you don't. No, you don't. When the day becomes evil, like he's saying here, when evil is taught, people are tempted and corrupted. When evil is permitted, people give themselves over to it with less resistance. When evil is practiced without restraint, people are more hostile towards the gospel. When America was a little more moral, even 20 years back, they wouldn't mock you as a Christian. In fact, they respected it. They said, oh, pardon my, my, my language, whatever. Today, they're more hostile. You're a bigot. You're a hypocrite, right? Now they'll flip the car. You're a racist if you're a Christian. <laughs> Terrorist. Wow. Evil. Listen to what Paul told Agrippa. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know you do. Then Agrippa said to Paul, you almost persuade me to become a Christian. And Paul said, I would to God that not only you, but also all who hear me today might become both almost and altogether such as I, except for these chains. Man, he's been using a scapegoat in prison there on the Mediterranean, on Caesarea in the Mediterranean. And he is just trying to get these guys saved using every opportunity. Wow. When a person becomes a Christian, they have many people to share Christ because often all their family and friends are unbelievers. When I first got saved in 73, I had all kinds of people because I was right, I used to be there with them. They're all pagans, they're all party animals, they're all non believers. So all kinds of people knew my brother and myself, and so we had a great audience to share. So the more opportunities open when a person is first born again because you're closer to the stock of unbelievers. So as you move on in Christ, you move away from the gospel to an extent. Your circle of non-believers becomes smaller and smaller in terms of intimate contact. So we must guard ourselves against reaching out against not reaching out to unbelievers, but we have to use 
wisdom and ask God to direct and open those doors so we can share with people because otherwise we just kick back and get behind the church walls and we say, well, you know, they're going to go to hell anyway. What the heck? Hmm. The Lord Jesus will prepare clear opportunities for all to share the gospel with those who are eternally lost without Christ. I think of Jesus directing Peter and John to the man at the gate called Beautiful in Acts 3. Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have, give I thee in the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. Wow. Jesus directed Peter to the house of Cornelius in Acts 10. Holy Spirit fell upon them. They got saved just like the Jews. Jesus used Paul and Silas to reach the Philippian jailer and Lydia in Acts 10. Jesus used Stephen, the priest of the synagogue of the freedmen. Cost him his life. Philip to the Ethiopian at 6, 7, and 8. The believer needs to recognize the active opposition of Satan to the gospel. He's not a guy with red PJs, okay? He is the most beautiful angel. Perfect in all his way from the day he was created until iniquity was found in him and he led the rebellion in heaven a third of the angels fell. Second Corinthians 4, 3-4 says, But even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel, the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. So he's there to hinder. He's there to hinder your life, my life, before we're in Christ. And he's there to hinder those who don't know Christ right now. Ephesians 2, 2, it says, Satan is called the principal of the air that now works in the sons of disobedience. They are ensnared by the devil, having been taken captive by him to do his will, 2 Timothy 2.26. And no wonder, Paul says, for Satan himself transformed himself into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also transform themselves into ministers of righteousness, whose end will be according to their works. So Satan and his demons are busy attempting to hinder the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus gave a sword, we're not to sow seed. Some fell by the wayside. The wayside he interprets is that seed that falls on the heart of man and Satan takes it so that it can't grow. Pulls it right out. The Sanhedrin forbade the apostles to preach the gospel. Elamis, the sorcerer, tried to hinder the gospel by Sergius Paulus to hear. And at Athens, Paul was mocked. Acts chapter 4, 13 and 17. God opened all those opportunities. Every one of them. The believer is wise by walking accountable to share the word of God whenever the Lord opens up. Notice thirdly, verse 17. The believer is wise by walking enabled to know the will of God. The Apostle Paul declared to the believers they were not to live as having no wisdom regarding the gospel and the unbeliever. He just can't let go of this. Listen to the words. Therefore, do not be unwise. He's still talking about the unbeliever, the gospel. Paul brings 
the instruction of verse 15 and 16 to a logical conclusion here. The word therefore is a concluding word looking back to what is before it being the sum total of what proceeds. This bringing to conclusion the command of verse 15. See then that you walk circumspectly not as fools but as wise. Paul presented the negative that in view of what he had just told them, they should not fail in discretion and opportunity for the gospel. The word unwise is a stronger term than the word fools in verse 15. Without spiritual understanding about the gospel and the lost, he's talking to believers. Is that possible? Absolutely. Because some people don't study the word of God. Some people don't get involved. Some people just sit. Have you ever brought anybody to the Lord? If you haven't, shame on you. (laughs) And if you have, you know it's addicting. You'll do it again. (laughs) Because it's amazing, nothing more amazing than to have someone pray and be saved. And you realize God used you and you're nothing. That's our God. Paul presented the negative. That in view of what he had just told them, they should not fail. By discretion or by opportunity. So important. This is an imperative command. Literally, stop becoming foolish. A.T. Robertson translates like that and many others. Beacon's commentary translates it dumb or stupid. Why? Because we should know better. Once again, as a parent, your child does something, he's 15, and you know. What, what, what is your problem? What were you thinking? You're saying the same here. Why were you so dumb? Why were you so stupid? You know better. Hmm. Notice the Apostle Paul declared the believer was to know the will of God towards those needing salvation. He still won't get off it. He's not talking about for me to know the will of God for my life. He will as he moves on, but right here he's talking about the non-believer. But understand what the will of the Lord is. So Paul is not referring to some mysterious plan for your life in the future as the will of the Lord. Some people always make their relationship with God real mystical. They're attempting to find some secret message in the Bible. They're attempting to run around to see the latest prophet. Or they say, oh, okay, Lord, speak to me. I'm going to open the Bible and put my finger. Oh. He says, uh, go hang yourself. Oh, no, 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 no. Let's try it again. But that's the way they live their life, a Christian life. They're not grounded in the word of God. They're living by their feelings, emotions, and experiences based on situations and circumstances. These individuals fail in three ways. They never do anything because they're always waiting on the Lord. <laughs> what are you waiting for? move they give a bad example of Christianity secondly 
Thirdly, they're easily deceived. They're taken in. Notice Paul presented the positive next. He wanted them to align the will of God and sinners properly. Listen to what he says. The word understand means to set or bring together, to put the perception with the thing perceived in mind and to get hold of it. Make it one. Jesus used the word for the disciples. How is it that you do not understand Mark 8, 21? Jesus often said, do you understand? They go, uh, uh, uh. Dirty dozen. We're just like them. Paul used it in Romans 3.11. There is none that understands. This is regarding God's spiritual truth of the need of salvation. The natural man. Paul said, for this reason, we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. Colossians 1.9. This is what you want to pray for the new believer, for the person that's in Christ. You want to pray that they go to the Lord, that God direct and guide them, and they understand all that God wants to do in them and through them. The process between knowledge and wisdom is essential. Listen to Proverbs 1.5. The wise man will hear and will increase learning. And a man of understanding shall obtain unto wise counsel. Proverbs 4.7. Wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom, and with all you're getting, get understanding. The will of God in this context has to do with the plan and purpose of God, once again, for fallen humanity. The word will means what one wishes or determines to be done. Paul The apostle is an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, Ephesians 1.1. Our predestinated adoption was by the good pleasure of his will, Ephesians uh, chapter 1, verse 5. Our inheritance is according to the counsel of his will, Ephesians 1.11. Servants are to do the will of God from the heart. Ephesians 6.6. 6. Paul deals with the will of God in various ways. Paul put it this way. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are well known by God, and I also trust are well known in your conscience. Knowing what happens when people die without the Lord should terrify us. That is a great motivation out of love and compassion and sympathy and being able to empathize with people because we know we would be there also. The will of God is revealed and found in the word of God. We're to meditate upon the word day and night and we shall be prosperous and have good success. Joshua 1.8, walking into the promised land. Everywhere your foot touches, I've given it to you. We're to learn And not lean to our own understanding, but acknowledge God in all our ways, and he will direct our paths, Proverbs 3, 5 through 6. He will direct us. 
We're to know that the will of God is that we walk in the light as he's in the light. We have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. 1 John 1, 7. You see, the will of the Lord is that we fully and clearly understand the oneness of the gospel and sinners like Twinkies. Gospel and sinners go together. Pie and ice cream. That every sinner can be saved and to know this, if they repent by trusting the atoning sacrifice of Jesus Christ by grace through faith, Ephesians 2, 8, 9. I am to know that as a believer. That every sin can be forgiven and the person is cleansed from all defilement, whiter than snow. Psalm 51, verse 7. I am to know this. So there is no person that cannot be saved or be forgiven. All can. That every sinner only has a set amount of years before they die and then the judgment and then be separated for all eternity. I am to know this. Hebrews 9.27. Paul said to the Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 5.18-20, through 20, Now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given to us the ministry, listen, of reconciliation. That is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God was pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Kind of like Paul. Oh, I wish altogether you were as I am, except for these bonds, Agrippa. You and everybody present here. One of the five promised crowns to the believer at the Bema Seat of Christ is the crown of rejoicing at Christ's returns for soul winning. 1 Thessalonians 2.19 Soul winning. Those that win souls are wise, the proverb says. And so the believer is wise by walking, enabled to know the will of God. I beg you by the mercy of God, you present your body a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And be not fashioned to this world system, be transformed by the renewing of your mind to prove what is that good, acceptable, and the perfect will of God. The word. His mind, his spirit, yielding and obeying, putting on the armor, doing good warfare, having done everything to end up standing to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. Wow. These are the first three ways a believer walks in wisdom in this world. It's towards the non-believer first. The believer is wise by walking responsible to the word of God. The believer is wise by walking accountable to share the word of God. And the believer is wise by walking enabled to know the will of God. What do we have missing and lacking? 
nothing but the willingness to do it. <laughs> That's it. There's no excuse. Lord, thank you for your grace, your love, your goodness. Deal with our hearts, and we thank you for your word. And Lord, we pray that you be glorified in all things, Lord. We do thank you. We pray, Lord, that you would be glorified in our lives, and that, Lord, as we grow, as we mature, as you use us, that it would be for your glory. And, Lord, especially those that are listening even now, Lord, here or by the radio or the Internet, you would speak to their hearts. If you're here and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, God has brought you here to be saved, to repent of your sins. If you believe that Jesus Christ is God who became man, if you believe that he died for your sins, if you believe that he rose from the dead, and if you believe that he sits at the right hand of the Father making intercession for you, then you can call upon him repenting from your sin and he will save you he will forgive you and he will make you a child of god by grace through faith and so if this is your desire this is your prayer to him and he's going to save you right now he's going to forgive you of your sins and do a little house cleaning from this day on this is your prayer to him father i come to you in jesus name I ask you to forgive me, Lord, for all my sins. Give me a brand new heart. Fill me with your spirit. I accept you as my Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name, amen.